Welcome to the broadcast of Riverside Church in Princeton, North Carolina. Riverside Church preaching Christ and Him crucified. For more information, check out our website at www.riversidefwb.com. You would grab your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter number 8. Last week we finished up Hebrews chapter 7. As you're grabbing your Bible, opening up an application on your phone, however you follow along in Holy Scripture, I want to remind you here at Riverside we believe that we believe the Bible because it's a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. It reports supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of prophecy. It's divine, not human in origin. We here at Riverside believe in the five solas of the Reformation. One being the scriptures alone. The Bible is our highest authority. We believe in faith alone. We believe and have confidence in something or someone and that something and someone is actually Jesus. Jesus alone. And we trust and believe in Jesus alone and Jesus bestows grace alone on us. That we're saved simply by grace grace alone and the fifth one that ties it all together is for God's glory so that day of glory God alone receives the glory last week was our our graduation Sunday and you heard from the mouth of the, the preacher here at Riverside that we do all things to God's glory 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31 no matter if it's working in a cubicle pushing paper on a job whether you're a plumber or you're swinging a hammer as a roofer no matter if you're a farmer, no matter if you're a student on, uh, uh, in the school system or a university, you do it for God's glory and His glory alone. That's what today's about, for God's glory and His glory alone. Yes, it is Memorial Day weekend. There are people who are serving gods all over the globe today. Uh, in America, they're serving the, the God of the coast. They're actually sun worshipers laying out on a towel before the sun. There are some who are, uh, who are chasing little white gods across the golf course, little white balls. There are some who are on a bass boat somewhere trying to serve God. Serve themselves is what they're doing because God has prescribed how we are to worship the Him because it says deny not the assembly together. Amen. I'll preach it. I'll tell you that it says deny not the assembly together. It actually says in the original Hebrew deny not the assembly together unless there's a pandemic. No, it don't say that. It says come together even if it's against the law. Even if you put your health on the line. Even if it's going to cost you something. Even if your freedom... Even if the culture looks at you like you're crazy, deny not, come together. Uh, uh, let me pull myself together and let you know. Yes, you've heard it said, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you go to church. Mm, that hurts somebody, but that's all right. But let's grab our Bibles and look at Hebrews chapter number 8 this morning. This morning we remember what he said in chapter, 20, in the chapter 7, that we have an, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That we have a priest who's forever and always. And what we learn in 6 and 7 is that God don't lie and God don't change. Glory to God. Tax codes change. Zonings change. Governments change. People change. In fact, have y'all noticed the weather change? Yesterday, it was about 91 when I went into Goldsboro. On the way home, it dropped to about 70. Things change. But God don't change. Oh, that's comforting to somebody. When the whole world seems like it's rocking and reading and changing on a dime, God don't change. In Hebrews chapter number 8, the author of Hebrews, who I actually believe to be Paul, tells us the point of it all. For the last three or four chapters, he's trying to tell the believer something. And here he gets to the point. 
Don't you love when people get to the point? You just don't like hearing the preacher because sometimes I get around, I'll, I'll go around the mountain four or five times before you get the point. But here we see the author, Hebrews. He tells us now the point of what we are saying is this in verse number one of chapter number eight. Here the author. He says, here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. We have a high priest such as this. We have a high priest. He described him in the last chapter. One that don't ever change. Yes, coming up this week, I've been here for five years. Who knows, in the next five, I might be here, I might not. I plan to be. My roots are here. I want to be here for 50 years. But God decides who lives and dies. God sets the foundations and the, He sets the borders and pleasant places. He changes whatever He wills because He's God. Preachers change. Pulpits change. Churches change. Congregations change. But God is everlasting, always the same. We spoke about it in the last chapter, how you might have had a favorite doctor. I love that doctor. That's a good doctor. How they'll move or you'll move and you'll lose that doctor. And you feel like you've got to start all over again. You might get a new preacher, a new Sunday school teacher, a new neighbor. You might have to move to a new area, get a new house, get a new neighborhood, and find a new acquaintance, find a new church, because things change. But we find assurance... That Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. Constant. Never changing. Never fluctuating. Either today that strikes terror in your heart or it comforts you on your journey. That He loves you today as much as He did the day you repented of your sins and trusted in Him. In spite of you, He still loves you. In the middle of your brokenness. In the middle of your doubts. He still claims you as, as His own. He will not cease to do you good. I know somebody saying, well, you're pulling the sugar on today. But sometimes you just need to be comforted to know that God still loves you in spite of you. Y'all know that I'm a balanced preacher. I tell you that there's wrath for sinners, but there's also comfort for the saint. Amen, preacher. Amen. So we see in chapter number 8, the point is that we have a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. That my advocate, the one who's on my side, when family might drop the ball on me, friends will come and go. When church people are loving you one minute, throwing tomatoes at you at the next, kicking rocks as they leave the, the parking lot on the way out. People change, y'all. Y'all understand. But he doesn't. And he's my advocate. Notice here, He sits at the right hand of the Father. That don't mean He's lower. That don't mean He's in a high chair above God. He's shoulder to shoulder to our God. He sits there and He's your advocate. There's a conversation over you in glory. In the throne room of heaven, they're talking about you. That is, if you're redeemed. What you mean, preacher? What if I'm not redeemed? There's no conversation about you because we, Jesus tells us in one of His parables, He says, Go from me for I never knew you. That means He ain't mentioning you. He ain't talking about you. But His own. There's a conversation about you. There's prayers being made over you. God is providing for you. God is keeping you. God is protecting you. God is preserving you. God is strengthening you. He has not forgot you. Wherever you are and where you feel you're drifting in life, no matter what you're going through, no matter if it's storms or you're on the mountaintop or the mountain is on top of you, God has not forgotten you. Amen, preacher. 
Somebody just need to hear it. Somebody need to say it. Amen. He's at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. That your hope is not found in FEMA, the White House, your partisan position, Black Lives Matter. Your hope is not found at the other end of a phone call to 911. Your hope is found in the majesty on high at the right hand of the Father. That's your high preacher. Your hope ain't found in this pulpit. Don't put your hopes in this preacher. Don't put me up on a pedestal high up that I'll fall off and break me and break you too. Put your hope in Christ and Christ alone. When the hospital room grows cold as everybody leaves behind you and you have that paper in your hand and it's got a diagnosis that you don't like and it looks fatal. Where will you find your peace? Yeah, you can call the preacher. I'll pray with you. I'll meet with you. But you know what I'll do? Just like your deacons and your Sunday school teacher, the choir directors, and your neighbor in the pew beside you, we're going to point you to Jesus. He's your hope. He's your strength. He'll bring you through the valleys. He will not deny you. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we can put our trust in Him. Amen. In verse number 2, he says, A minister... In the holy places. And the true tent that the Lord has set up and not man. Your hope is not found at the river here. Yes, this is a nice little building. I like this building. It's nice. But we've had our building crumble before, y'all. I don't know if y'all remember. God snatched the rug out from a lot of people who worshipped the facilities. And not the facilitator. Amen. I... They worship creation, not the Creator. They thought we could only have church in the sanctuary, but I remember a time when we were sitting out in the, the, out in the fellowship hall and fans were blowing and people worshiped Jesus. And that caused people to say, well, if I can worship in the fellowship hall, I can worship Him in my car. I can worship Him in my living room. I can worship Him right there in my, in, in my workplace. I can worship Him anywhere because God's everywhere. He's too big just to put inside these four walls. He's my God. He's my majestic God. The heavens cannot contain His glory. And if He's at the right hand, and He's a minister. A minister is someone who works for you. He ministers in the holy places, in the true tent. Not here in this building. In verse number 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Well here, because it's written to the Hebrews, you must know something about the way the Hebrew people lived. They had high priests back in the day. In the Old Testament, their high priests would bring in bowls of blood on the Day of Atonement and go into the Holy of Holies. This is a section of the temple that only God's presence was, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the high priest would come in once a year and sprinkle blood on the altar, the blood that came from bulls and goats as they slit the throat of the lamb. They would drain him of his blood and go in and splatter the altar with blood to cover the sins of the people. Notice it only covered the sins of the people. This was a foreshadowing or an analogy. It was a story or a parable to prepare us of our true high priest of Jesus. He was telling him of 
things that are to come. In verse number 3, every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. In verse 4, now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. He's saying here that this is something that's transcendent upon, uh, beyond the physical realm. That our high priest is in heaven and he does offer blood still. In verse number 5, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Now, how many of y'all have are still consistent in your yearly Bible reading? You remember on January, everybody gets excited. We're going to read through the Bible. And we do good around till about February, March. That's when we get in Leviticus. Whew, Deuteronomy, oh my goodness. What is they talking about? Blood, bulls and guts and sins offerings and pigeons and all kinds of stuff. Blood everywhere. Then they started to number things. Oh boy, why is they talking about so many people in the tribe of Reuben? Why has Zebulun got so many people? What is going on here? And we tend to drop our Bible reading because we get into hard sections. And then, then, woo, then we get into the area where he starts telling us the precise measurements of the temple. How long this curtain is to be. How tall this altar is. What's it to be overlaid with? The dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant. Made of gopher wood? What's a gopher wood? I don't, so we lose. We get lost in the details. But Moses was meticulous in keeping the details because God gave them to him. The reason being is because it was a direct reflection of what's going on in heaven. There is a holy of holies in heaven. There's an altar in heaven. There's a mercy seat in heaven. And we had these tangible things, these finite things that we could touch here in the Old Testament. There was a high priest on the earth, but there's one in heaven. And the one on the earth, it was from the tribe of Levi, Aaron's children. After year after year, they would grow old and die and another high priest would rise up. And because he was touched by the deformities, uh, depravity of, uh, of Adam and his sin, they died. So another one would have to be born. But in heaven... Our high priest goes on and on and lives forever. Always interceding for us. Never growing old. Yes, they call him the Ancient of Days. But he don't have any wrinkles because of age. Yes, his hair is white. But it's not because he's grow old. It's because he's pure. Yes, our eyes grow dim and we wear glasses. But if we read in the book of Revelation, his eyes are eyes of fire and they don't dim. Woo! Praise his name. We see here, it's a copy and a shadow of things in verse 5. For Moses was about to erect the tent. He was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Verse 6, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. As the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. What is he saying there, preacher? He's saying the old covenant is not as good as the new. What you mean? What does that mean? Covenant means promises. The old promises were this. Y'all know the Ten Commandments. I hope you do. But those promises, those commandments said don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. They command us to do something. And if we did that, God would bless us. The problem is we can't do that. 
I don't know if y'all have gone through the Ten Commandments, but they're, they're kind of convicting. Thou shalt not lie. Don't matter how long ago you lied, who you lied to, how big the lie was, thou shalt not lie. How many lies do you tell before you're a liar? Just one. From the time we're able to talk, our hearts are falling. And we make up lies. We try to get ourselves out of trouble because we're liars from birth. We're sinners by nature. Naughty by nature, if you get that analogy from the 90's. That we're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. Thou shalt not steal. No matter what you stole, when you stole it, how long ago you stole it. Time don't erase your convictions and your wickedness. Thou shalt not covet. Envious, jealous of other people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Either in your heart or physically with your body. Thou shalt not commit adultery. These laws convict us and show us that we're sinners. They cannot save us. In fact, they ruin us. Bless you. We see here, He's showing us that the promise and the covenants don't do anything for us but ruin us. We saw in the book of Romans where Moses convicts us. He convicts us of sin. It shows God's nature. It doesn't mean that He's just being hard on us. It means He's holy. Didn't you hear us when we read in 1 Peter this morning? He said, I am holy, so you be holy. Problem is that we're not. I do hope you see your desperation this morning that you're not holy. I tell you what, on Judgment Day, you better be perfect. That's the only way you're going to get into heaven. Either you be perfect or know someone who is. That's the only way you get in. That's the only way you're spared wrath, death, hell, and the grave. By being perfect or knowing someone who is. This morning i like to bring to your attention that your perfect advocate is not Joe Biden. It's not Donald Trump. It's not your preacher. It's not even Brother Danny Faircloth. It's not even Miss Connie. Not even Tracy Price, as much as you're surprised to hear that. That is not your advocate. Your advocate is not Muhammad. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, any Martin Luther King Jr., Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley. Your hope is not Jimmy Swagger. Your hope is not Rod Parsley. Your hope is not Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Copeland. Your hope is not Paul Washer. Your hope is Christ and Christ alone. Him, you bake and hope and put all your covenant and all your hope and promises in Him. He's the one who will sustain you. He's a better promise. He's your strength. He is where you get your past. You find your grace in, in verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there will be no occasion to look for a second. If you can get to heaven by keeping God's laws, by all means go for it. If you can. If you can hear this preacher today and you don't need Jesus, there's a lot of people who say they don't need Jesus because they're too good for God to save. Mm, that ain't me. I can't relate to that at all. You're too good for grace. You work so hard for Jesus, He owes you. But for the rest of us, we'll find mercy at the foot of the cross. I don't care how big your sin is, come to Jesus. I don't care how bad the situation is, how ruined and stained it is, how red scarlet your sin is and how it glows in the dark. Come to Jesus and find mercy.
Find grace. Find healing for the wounded soul. Find rest for the weary heart. Come who are thirsty and broken. Don't run to the law with all its mandates. Do this and do that. Because it don't do anything but ruin you. It'll make you moral. Yes, morality will keep you out of jail. I'm a good moral person. Morality will keep you out of jail, but only the blood of Jesus will keep you out of hell. There's a lot of people in hell who don't cuss, who don't even drink caffeine, who are kind, who are faithful to one husband or one wife for years. There's a lot of people in hell who recycle, who vote straight ticket, Republican or Democrat. There's a lot of good people. If you can't see me outside, I'm doing air quotes. Good people in hell. Kind and nice people. But that's not what saves you. Amen. There's a lot of tithers in hell. A lot of church members in hell. A lot of polite people in hell. A lot of people who wore masks in hell. People who took the vaccine. Those are virtue symbols. Signaling is what you're doing. Saying, look how good I am. I'm doing this or that. And you believe that you're better than anybody else. Because you rate your goodness on other people, but not on Jesus Christ. You're only saved by what Jesus has done for you. Saved by grace and grace alone. Here, He says the other covenant would still be standing. But we needed grace. For verse 8, He finds fault with them when He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. On that day I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. We see in this part of Scripture in 8 and 9 that God took them by the hand. He grabbed them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Have you ever led anybody by hand and they didn't really want to go with you? All the parents can say amen. I don't know how many times I've drugged my child somewhere who really didn't want to go. Anybody with a pet, you had them on the end of a leash and they didn't want to go on a walk. Whether it's a cat, a kangaroo, or a dog, you understand. They didn't want to go with you. But we see here that God led them out by hand and they really didn't want to go. Some of them really loved the security of the slavery in Egypt. Their hearts were not following God, but He took them by hand and led them out. We'll see here that many times we look at the Old Testament, it says, do this, do that, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, do this, do this, and do this, that thou shalt not thunder over us and makes us say we're obligated. We have to do that. And then when we find we can't do it, we give up hope and we have despair. But God addresses that. In verse 10, he talks about the new covenant. That will not will be by the hand and force you and make you do anything. In verse number 10, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, it says here, preacher, that it says it's to the house of Israel. Well, haven't we read in the book of Ephesians that He has torn down the, the dividing line between Gentile and Israelite? That we're a part of the body of Christ? Let me assure you today that God has a one chosen people. And it's not just the, the nation of Israel. It's God's church. That's His people. 
He will not cast you out. You're His bride. He adores you. He has died for you. Like a husband is the love of his bride, his wife. Christ died for his bride, the church. And we are the house of Israel in this text. Because we are grafted in to the promises of Abraham, to the blood of Jesus. So He's speaking to you and me here when He says this covenant He will make with the house of Israel. He will put the laws into their minds. The old covenant, y'all remember when Moses came off the mountain? The laws were written on tablets of stone in his hands. But here in this text, he takes his finger and writes them on the laws of your own heart. He doesn't say, do this or do that. He embreds them. He writes them. He burns them into the hearts of His people. This is how you know if you belong to God today. It's He has written His laws on your heart. Jesus said, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. There's a lot of people who say they love Jesus, but they don't do what Jesus says. Here, God says, I will write My laws on their heart. He took His finger on that stone and said, Thou shalt not. And He writes it on the hearts of flesh now to His people. He says, I will put my laws in their mind. Not only will it be in their heart, but in their mind. And we read in the book of Psalms, I meditate on your law both day and night. I think about His law and it's refreshing to me and it's strengthening to me. They're not fences to keep me from having a good time, but they're guardrails to protect me, shepherd me, and to keep me. He says... He will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. Oh, that is so good to me. From a Gentile mutt like myself. I don't come from a pedigree of good people, y'all. Let me just be honest. I come from horse three, thieves and bootleggers and meth heads and drug addicts and wife beaters. That's where I come from. Your stock might be better than mine. But my bloodline comes from a long line of broken, wicked people. But He has written His laws on my mind and on my heart. And He declares over me, I will be your God and you will be my people. Sin has orphaned me, broken me, and beaten me. But only in the solace and the grace and the mercy of Jesus' outstretched storms do I find peace, grace, and mercy. When I can't keep the laws, He writes the laws on my heart. You must understand, His laws aren't heavy to me. They're a delight to me now because I've been changed. I'm not like I once was. If you read the laws of God and you spit at them and you're angry and you hate them, it's because you hate the One who gave them to you. But those who belong to Him, you meditate on them. You love them. You embrace them because they're written on your minds and they're written on your heart. He's your God and you're His people. In verse 11, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest. It's not that we have to be taught about God. 
Yes, we come to church and we read the Scriptures, but when we expound the Scriptures, it only throws gasoline on the fire that's already burning in your heart. You already love Jesus because He has revealed Himself to you, snatched you from the fire, claimed you for His very own. And when somebody expounds on the, the Scriptures, so saith the Lord, it makes you love Him all the more in spite of you. Whenever we read of Thou shalt not, and we see our failings, we see how ruined we are and how dirty we are. We see how depraved we are. We read in Psalm 17 that God is angry with the wicked every day. We read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 6 that the imagination of the heart of men is wicked all the time and all the ways. We read those things. And then we think about how Jesus, when He was on the cross, He said, It is finished. We read about how He gave Himself up for us all that we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We look at those laws and then we look to Jesus. And to be honest, y'all, Jesus is a lot more sweeter when we look at those things. We look at the law that's written on our hearts and our minds and then we look to Jesus. For we are big sinners! But He's a bigger Savior. And Jesus is all the more sweeter. For His grace... Like he told Paul, he's sufficient. He's able to save you right where you are, no matter what you've done. He claims you for his own. I've got two children, I've got two boys, and I know many of y'all have children. Or you have nephews and nieces and family members, or even friends you consider blood. There's nothing they could do, or they're not my children anymore. And I do hope you would say the same over yours. They're crazy, I know, but I love them. They're wrong, but I still love them. Our God by no means will cast us out. He will not forget us or disown us or orphan us. God does not have any children that are orphans. God does not simply cast us out because we sin. What He has for you is grace today. Amen. Amen. We see here, He says, Know the Lord. The more I read about Him, the more I love Him. And as the years roll on, like the song says, the days get sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. As I get closer to Him. I don't want to run from Him. Even though I'm full of flaws and mistakes, I find grace in His arms. I look at the scars on his hands and look at the scars on his forehead where he bore the crown of thorns. I, 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 I read about the scars in his feet. And I know he did that on my behalf. He died for me. He spilt his blood for me. Amen. Earlier we saw how the high priest would bring in a bowl of blood and sprinkle it on the altar to cover the sins of the people. But our high priest doesn't carry a bowl full of Bulls and goats' blood. He carries his own. And he goes into the Holy of Holies and he sprinkles us, sinners, with the blood. For the Bible tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is through Jesus Christ. You might be stained and dirty today by sin. And we could just cover those sins up with a nice suit. We can get you some nice clothes designers and we can cover that up in the eyes of men. But God still sees your sin. Amen. We can try to cover up our sins with good works. Volunteering. 
recycling, tithing, singing in the choir, volunteering, all kinds of good things. But God still sees our sin. What you need is your high priest to come in and sprinkle you with the blood that washes away your sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not Calgon. Not Dawn Dish Detergent. What can wash away your sins? Good works? No. Only the blood of Jesus. What I offer to you today is this very blood. I don't care how good you think you are. In the eyes of Christ, you're a sinner because everybody's a sinner. For those who believe they're too good for grace today, let me bring it down a couple of nights because that happens to be my job. To preach to the church. To preach literally to the choir. And say you're not saved by your good works. You're only saved by a high priest who is your advocate. He's your way in. That's why He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. You won't get to heaven by being kind and nice, volunteering, recycling. You won't get to heaven by wearing a face mask or getting a vaccine. Amen. Oh, you might die because of coronavirus, but you won't get to heaven because you were nice. You only get to heaven because of what Jesus has done for you. So what I say this morning is repent of your good works. Repent of your tithing. Repent and trust in Jesus. He's your only way to get to heaven. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, this morning, we don't need a brother saying, Know the Lord. For truly everyone here this morning knows the Lord. They know they're standing before God. They know if they're right before God. And this morning, Father, I pray that Your Spirit would convict sinners. That they would repent. Repent of their good works that they were trusting in. Repent of their wicked deeds that they've done that nobody knows about but You, O Lord. This morning, Lord, we throw ourselves on the mercy of a high priest who spills His blood on our behalf. There's no more Aaron's and no more the tribe of Levi who goes into the tabernacle. Only we look to the heavenly realms where our high priest sits at the right hand of the Father and He prays over us. He ministers for us. So this morning, Lord Jesus, minister for this preacher. Minister for this minister. That, Lord, You would minister for this congregation, empowering them and letting them know there's grace found solely in the work of Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, Father, send the Holy Spirit to convict Your people. Let them repent of their good works and even their sins and trust in You and the finished work of Christ on the cross for us on our behalf. This morning, dear Lord, build Your church that we should go outside these doors and go into all our world to tell someone the good news of Jesus and how He died for someone like me in spite of me. In Your most precious name we pray.